Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Before we jump in, we want to thank the Cosmos community for their sponsorship in making this episode possible. There are several projects building inter-blockchain communication protocols, but there's one that's currently built. Cosmos.network is on a mission to link every blockchain. Well-known projects like Terra, Band, Kava, and Secret use Cosmos and the Cosmos Hub to connect to every other chain in their network. The Cosmos Hub is completed and launched, and you can visit Cosmos.network today to check it out. The Cosmos Hub brings us that much closer to Web 3.0, and we thank the Cosmos community for sponsoring the Delphi podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy. I help run Delphi Ventures, the podcast. Today, I have on Gene, who's one of the co-founders of MC Dex. Full disclosure, we are happy investors in MC Dex. Really excited for what they're about to bring. Gene, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks, Tom, for having me. It's a, it's a wild day in the market. We're recording as Bitcoin's about to go below 30K. It's, it's kind of distracting to record the pod. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it it's um it's pretty early by you or is it late i forgot the the time zone um oh it's um i mean utc uh plus eight so it's like 9 p.m here nice nice well thanks for thanks for hopping on gene why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into mcdex yeah sure um yeah i think i i was with mcdex like about things like about two and a half year ago and before that i was actually um i've been with several startups uh, most of them like are in within the uh, internet industry for example the e-commerce and some ai involved and uh, besides that, personally, I have um, trading the crypto for a couple of years before that. Like I do the spot, I do the um, futures, something like that. So uh, it was more like uh, myself interested to dig more uh, in the blockchain industry. And at the time, I uh, came across the, uh, the founder, Liu Jie, and he just had the... Uh, how to say the uh, basic idea of MCDX at that time. And that sounds it's pretty cool. So I then just like join the team and start my journey with the MCDX baby since then. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, why why did you land on MCDX again? Like out of all the, I mean, there's so many crypto projects out there, such a huge design space. What what specifically about MCDX really got you going? Where's the idea of it? Uh, yeah, because I think uh, when we started MCX at that time, the derivative space is not as crowded as right now yet. So uh, the idea is that idea is that actually we want to build uh, the decentralized DMAX at that time. And actually, you may know that before the MCX, we actually have another business, which is basically um, um, a, a mining platform for the GPU mining. And um, so that is kind of our like first step to uh, get to the basic knowledge of the blockchain. And, and then we, our team is actually have some, you know, like uh, requests and needs to, uh, to have a bet with another company. At that time, what we can only do is to, you know, like to communicate through the email. And then when the future is expired and just then like, we just like settle it. And at that time, we realized that we really need a smart contract. And that is exactly what the DeFi do. So at that time, we gradually dig more into the DeFi. And uh, since we have like kind of familiar with the derivative and uh, we think this space has a huge potential because when we take on the when we take a look at the centralized changes, like derivatives is like several times higher in terms of trading volume than the spot market. So yeah, so that's when we decided to make the decentralized BMAX idea become a real thing. That's awesome. And 
So MCDX is targeting perpetuals. Do you think everyone knows how large the traditional perpetuals market is, right? Well, I mean, not traditional, I guess more centralized perp market because like the traditional perp market in crypto, all the sectors are doing like over, I think, 100 billion in volume per day. Like, do you think people are aware of just how large that product market fit already is? Um, yeah, so for sure, uh, I think for now, um, people have like some like basic idea of like how large it is. But in ter- if we take on like a centralized changes right now, like only the BMAX or a dairy bit, what they are, we are saying about like several billions of dollars per day in terms of trading volume and comparing to the DeFi right now, like I think it's only several hundred uh, million. So which there is like a huge potential comparing to the centralized changes right now. So, yeah. So I think most, like not so many people has realized the power of it yet because, you know, like last year, I, I guess like the DeFi um, summer are all generated by, the, I think, the spot market led by the Uniswap. So I'm pretty, like I have, uh, we have steady like last year that uh, like this year the year of t- 2021 might be the year of derivatives in the DeFi space. So we we, de- we believe that with the readiness of the infrastructure. I I totally agree. I mean, my next question I was going to ask you, you know, why decentralized per protocol shine compared to their centralized counterparts are doing so much volume, but you mm-hmm. know that also kind of plays into just giving a, a brief overview on MC Dex. So I'll, I'll let you take it. Um, where you want. But if you can give a brief overview before we go into the specifics too, that would be awesome. Yeah, great. So uh, just as I just mentioned that to put it simple, we are basically building the decentralized DeepMax. MCDEX is a fully permissionless protocol for decentralized perpetual swaps. And we have been in this this space for a while. And right now with our upcoming V3, which will be based on the, which will be launched on Arbitrum, that we will have like a fully permissionless protocol that allow anyone to create any perpetual market. And meanwhile, we have kind of, we have like improved the capital efficiency of our V3 AMM that realize the perpetual swaps which is about like 1,000 times higher capital efficiency than our V2. And uh, we are hoping that we could, uh, we could you know, like uh, have the uh, same uh, experiences, user experiences as the centralized changes, which is exactly the feedback, user's feedback that we've got from our testnet. Yeah, so that is um, basically what MZX V3 is doing. That's a really helpful over Eugene. And- I feel like me and you talk a lot, so we're diving right into it. But for those who might not be up to speed, can you explain what a perpetual is in crypto? Oh, right, right. Yeah. So perpetual swap is actually the most popular way to trade cryptocurrencies for now. And the the reason that it is popular is because it's quite simple for a um, for normies to understand because the price of, of perpetual swaps is usually soft packed to the spot market. But the difference is that you can use leverage. So it's basically a tool that you can get the price exposure of the assets um, without holding it. So for example, if you wanna bet the price up or down of Ethereum, and you don't need to take us, you don't need to hold Ethereum to do so. If you you can do so by holding USDC or something to do that, and meanwhile you can use a margin system to have leverage to improve your capital efficiency for doing so. Yeah, so I guess that is why like it's something that is quite popular to trade cryptocurrencies. And when we are building something like more like um, Uniswap of the perpetual swaps, something like that. Yeah. Got it. No, that's really helpful. And I mean, one thing that I guess is central to perp protocols is having the spot price of the perps or just, I mean, not exactly the spot price, but having the price of the perps match the spot price of the underlying yeah. asset. How does MCDEX do that in a novel way? Because a lot of the decentralized perpetual protocols, um, and we've investments in a couple, and there are a bunch, like they do this in very different ways. How does MCDEX handle this? Right. So this is a quite good question because um, generally uh, in centralized changes, that soft pack is uh, down or is, is adjusted by the funding, pay, funding rate, 
which means that if there is more long than short in the market, then the long will pay the short. So to incentivize the long positions to close. So this is usually what the central exchanges are doing right now. And uh, let's get back to the central uh, decent DeFi space. So uh, our idea of, uh, of dealing with the price that is subpacked to the spot market is similar to the bonding rate in the centralized changes. So as I mentioned that we have a AMM model that um, the users originally only to put one token in the pool, uh, for example, USDC. And uh, when the traders trade against with the pool, uh, for example, the traders are long, then the pool will hold some short positions. And so to put it simple that the AMM is acting as a counterparty of the traders. So, and um, here comes the funding payment that because uh, that there, if this, this, this logic is basically the same, that if there are uh, more long in the market, then the long will pay the shorts. Then it's kind of increased the holding cost to hold a long position that will push forward some long positions to close. And uh, so in our AMM model, that's uh, because AMM is holding the net position uh, of the whole market. So if the whole market is more long, then the AMM will hold the short position. So in this way, that the, the AMM LPs are always receiving the uh, funding payment. So this is how the funding payment is designed in our AMM model. Meanwhile, uh, because as I mentioned that when the LPs has some positions, then that uh, there are some market making risks for the, for, the, for the LPs. So we are also in our B3 AMM uh, algorithm, there are also, you know, like, uh, ways to adjust the funding payment so that we could protect the LPs risks uh, to make sure that they are gaining some decent uh, yield when they are when they are providing liquidity to our AMM. Yeah. So to put it simple, the general logic is similar to the centralized changes, but we have kind of a novel approach here by designing by having our V3 AMM. That's awesome, Gene. And we could definitely use this as, as a crash course kind of on perps too, because you're sharing a lot of awesome color. And I, I guess one follow-up question, like let's say that the price of a perp, let's just say, you know, a Bitcoin perp is, you know, 10% over spot price or 20% over spot price. Now the longs are paying the shorts to disincentivize them to go long to bring the perp price back to the spot price. But how wild do those does that funding rate get? Like, you know, how variable is that? You know, does it just go? just kind of skyrocket as you get further and further away from the spot price or you know how volatile is that bonding rate okay i see yeah so i guess like a uh, different uh different different exchanges will have like different approach here uh i if i remember correctly that for example deribit they have set a maximum funding rate there to about uh, I think it's 0.5% or something. Um, yeah, so uh, that is usually what uh, exchange will tackle this problem that um, we will like set a maximum, uh, some will set a maximum like a uh, 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 figure of the max uh, funding rate so that like the market, when the market is, uh, when the market have like some extreme, like uh, have some like a situations that is kind of still like uh, adjusting the market. And so for hours, uh, for, for hours, for now, like we have set a maximum level, uh, maximum funding payment here. And, uh, but it's kind of, you know, like can adjust it uh, based on the, governance that if some like something that we have observed is not uh, going well and then we may have like have some we observe like some uh potential that we could adjust it later on awesome no, that, that makes a lot of sense and one of the cool things about your your v3 paper which i remember reading it i know it's kind of dating myself here but when you guys released that um one of the cool things was that you wanted to like assemble more funds near the index price. And it, you know, in hindsight, it kind of feels 
similar to like the concentrated liquidity model in Uniswap a bit. I know there's a, a lot of differences here, but can you kind of go into just the design goals of your AMM, especially like with regard to the V3 version? Because there's a lot of changes here versus um, V2. And I want to make sure everybody knows the differences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as you mentioned, that like our uh, actually our V3 design is quite similar to Uniswap V3. Uh, I think we could start with the V2, that which is the uh, which is the uh, uh, constant product price and follower that people are quite familiar with. Um, so as we know, like the constant product price and follower, they are like lying evenly. The funds are lying evenly in the whole curve. But uh, in the V3 design, both in Uniswap and SEDX, we have kind of aggregate more liquidity around the index. So that, um, so to put it simple, is that like uh, more funds can be utilized when people trading. Uh, because in our V2, we actually have the, uh, also have the Uniswap V2's pro, uh, uh, constant product pricing formula, which is we realized that like 90%, more than 90% of the funds in our pool is just lying there and doing nothing. But that's exactly why uh, we should uh, we should improve the capital efficiency. They have basically two benefits here. First one is that we could easily to uh, provide a low, much lower slippage with same funds in our in our AMM pool. The second thing is that the LP can receive much better revenue because they are share the transaction fee here. So capital efficiency. That's why it's both important for the traders and the LPs. So in our uh, V3, the goal, the general goal is to improve the capital efficiency. And um, actually, we have another goal here, which I have touched upon briefly at the beginning is that we want to, we want it to be fully permissionless, which I believe is uh, kind of a pretty novel approach here for the decentralized perpetuals. And yeah, so that's would be the, basically the two goals that when we are designing the V3 AMM. That's awesome, Gene. And I mean, one of the things that you have to run into is just, I guess, bootstrapping liquidity. So like for traders that use MTDEX, you need a lot of liquidity so that they can trade with low slippage. Mm. How do you mm. kind of think through like bootstrapping liquidity, um, mm. you know, whether that be with the token or whether that be through different incentives, because that's definitely central to the model here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Liquidity is like uh, kind of the most important thing before we have the real traders. So that's exactly why we have just finished the fundraising. Uh, I like Delphi will be leading this. And um, so most of the, I think 95% of the fundraising that we have will go to the pool and a very little part, I think the rest of 5% of it will go to the insurance fund of the pool. So um, first of all, we have to do some fundraising to bootstrap the liquidity. And secondly, uh, we will definitely have a liquidity mining program when we uh, start the, when we officially launch the mainnet to the public. And meanwhile, uh, actually, we have been talking with several uh, institutions who has the liquidity mining funds. So um, yeah, so also like some of them are also our investors. So yeah, so that is some several ways we are tackle tackling the problem right now. And uh, meanwhile, um, based on our test nets for the past about like three months, uh, we believe that with the proper amount, for example, like about like twenty million dollars in the pool, will be a good start already for the traders to have a kind of low slippage. So. I'm pretty confident that that figure is not that hard to achieve during the uh, when, when we when we initial initially launched the launch of V3. That's awesome, and I guess the follow up question there is like, who are you trying to attract, right? Like, if you're trying to attract mm -hmm. retail, it's kind of different from attracting institutions because you know mm -hmm. each have you know different volumes, different use cases, and and might be more or less receptive to. Mm -hmm. um, the token incentives, like an institutional trader might just want mm -hmm. the best price or, or might just want the lowest funding rate or, or et cetera. They might not exactly be inclined by the token incentives. Do you think mm -hmm. that there's a difference here in attracting a different class of trader or investor, or do you think that it's kind of all the same? Honestly, I think they're not the same because uh, I've been dealing, I have been thinking about these questions since day one, like how to attract the real traders for the MCDEX. So, so for now, like we usually kind of 
like put them into two parts of retail as institutions. And th- I think the retail, retail for now, uh, based on our B2 experiences, right now, uh, most of them are DeFi traders, that, which means that they are kind of quite familiar with how DeFi works for now. And they also trade perpetuals, they trade derivatives. So right now, I think in the market, the, the, the volume are mostly driven by those Mostly of them are retail traders, but I think in the long term, that's uh, all of our goal is to get the traders who are right now trading on the centralized exchanges. But for them, actually, um, I think there are several uh, motivations for them to move from the sex to the sex, uh, to the dex. I think one of the key is that the user experiences should be the same with the centralized exchanges because. We cannot uh, expect the users to accept uh, the downgrade of uh, user experiences. I think that's not, definitely not going to happen. So uh, that is something, the kind of the premise that we could take the sex uh, traders. And besides, I think we should like kind of uh, provide them uh, uh, provide them some like incent- uh, sorry, uh, incentives for the retails that they kind of can. Uh, have a initial motivation to move because uh, moving from uh, uh, moving like a user from A to B is quite quite difficult because the motivation should be strong enough. For example, the DeFi summer last year, I think that could be a great uh, opportunity to to move them to to get the new users. And uh, for the and also the other part. Is like more like uh, the institutions that they may have some uh, needs for the arbitrage for a hedge or something. Uh, we've also like have been talking with some of them uh, already, and they are more care care about like some of the APIs whether they can like easily uh, integrate with the API and they can, whether they have very low cost when they are integrated with, with our platform. So that's totally like different needs here. And uh, so I think in terms of MCDEX, we kind of have like strategies for different terms. And for the short term, of course, we'll get who is already here. And for the mid and longer term that we are already, we are focusing on like uh, to get the two, uh, two segments of the traders in a different ways. Because as I mentioned that, I think, I do think that they are, they, they are carrying totally different things here. No, it's really helpful, Gene. I yeah, I always think about it perhaps being more of an institutional game because I just never hear my you know retail focused friends like, hey, let me go, you know, buy some perps or use a platform. But I totally agree with you that it's coming and and it's for both um, segments. And I guess just moving on, there's a lot of competitors in your space, right? I mean, there's probably you know ten. You know, you have DYDX, you have Perpetual, all doing some solid volume. But there's a lot of specific differences between you and your competitors. How do you think about like competition? What makes MCDEX like stand out in a very differentiated way versus your competitors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, we are like kind of super selected for the uh, strong competitors here because that means we're on the right track here. <laughs> yeah, so because at the, at, when we were like two years, we were doing this like two years ago, we are kind of, you know, have no uh, competitors yet. Because I think like strong competitors are great kind of the motivation to for us to improve and to do better. And so right now, yes, I think um, because of the uniqueness of DeFi, I do think like each perpetual swap on the market right now have their own approach here. Like for example, like DYDX obviously more focusing on order book model right now. And um, like us uh, and some other perpetual uh, perpetual protocol are more uh, focusing on the AMM model here. And there's one thing that I wanna emphasize and is that what differentiates MCDEX right now is the, again, the fully permissionless feature that I've touched upon, that uh, we are kind of, you know, like empower the whole community to generate some markets, to to, to boost the uh, whole platform, to boost the whole ecosystem. We get this actually, we get this idea actually from our V2 experiences, because at that time, our V2 is kind of a, 
uh, Artbook and AMM is kind of a hybrid model back then. Uh, honestly, at that time, we don't have a, such a clear understanding of both, both, uh, both models yet. So that's why we have a hybrid model at that time. And after we run for, you know, for about like two months, we have like deeply understand like how the Artbook model is different from the AMM model. Because, uh, for example, uh, whenever we want to add one more market in a, with the other book model, we will need to involve the market makers. And we will need to provide some funds to the market makers so that they, do, they could do the market making. That requires a lot of uh, fund and a lot of operation side from the project, from us. So that's exactly why we think we should do it more lightweight that we could ship all this to the to the community to do that to do that for example we have been talking with several uh projects that they have the needs to have their own uh, have have the perpetual market of their own token so um they could, what, what they could do is they could do some incentivize uh if their token holders can provide the liquidity to the pool and maybe we can do some double mining here. So there are some other interesting way to, to generate the liquidity, to generate the trading volume. So I believe this is the uniqueness of DeFi that we should definitely uh, take advantage of it. So this is a totally different way of like achieving perpetual swap in centralized way. So we, in SDX, like we will focus on this when we will like use this advantage to the extreme so that the whole ecosystem could, bo could boost in future. That's helpful. And I mean, you touched upon, I guess, the permissionless creation of different markets. Mm -hmm. How easy is that in practice? Like, can any token project go on and, and spin up a market for their, like a perp market for their own token? Or how does that work? Because a lot of your competitors don't have permissionless market creation. Yeah, yeah, for now, not yet. So I think, if, uh, for example, if I want to be a creator of the perpetual market, I basically need to consider two things. Uh, the first thing is to just to create it, create it in our, uh, in our, uh, website, which includes, uh, several steps. Uh, the first is to choose the collector and choose the market that you want to set, you want to, you know, you want to create. And the second is to choose a proper uh, oracle that thing might work. Uh, we have been like in collaboration with basically all of the Oracle teams in the space, including Chainlink, Band, Teller, API3, etc. So the oh, one thing I, I want to <laughs> I want to emphasize is that we also think like Uniswap could be um, a decentralized, a perfect decentralized uh, Oracle if they are because we know they are also will be on the arbitrum so which is quite exciting yeah so the third step here is to set several fee models for example how much the operator charge how much goes to the lps etc and uh, the third part is about like the risk parameters that involves uh, to kind of balancing the balancing the risks of uh, lps and the the slippage of the traders. So yeah, so I have to admit that like the creator of the perpetual market is need some decent knowledge about perpetual swap at least. Uh, and the second thing that the, the creator needs to consider is the how to get initial liquidity. Of course, we will incentivize some some like interesting pools. For example, we have we've already launched a Big Mac program, which is to incentivize some real market. Uh, real-world market, for example, the stocks, the commodities, etc. So, yeah, so these are basically the two thing, things that the creator needs to consider when he comes to create the market. You know, you can start it all, like, just with the sheer amount of markets you may have if you allow permissionless deployment of markets, or I guess put another way, are you concerned that people might go into markets that might be, like, scammy or you know, are you concerned that you might have duplicate markets like 
you know, with different fee mounts. I, I guess I'm just uh-huh. wondering how you curate the markets in the best way for your users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is something that we have been thinking for a while to tackle those problems. First of all, I think there will definitely be some, you know, scammish and uh, some duplicate market, as you mentioned, because, yeah, we are permission. It's just like Uniswap. There are many, you know, like, you know, scammers on the Uniswap. So, First of all, I think it will happen. And then what we, or secondly, what we are thinking right now is to how to help um, the help the users to 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 choose the one that they might have like less risks. So we have like if we check on UI, there are like we will search, we will kind of verify some operators. So that if, for example, if there are some. Uh, the project team, token project team, they created their own token. So we will kind of have a kind of a red flag or signal there to make the um, make the users easier to recognize them. So so to put it simple, we kind of have a, a verification system initially to help the um, to help the users to understand this better because this is the first in the market. No one like no one else have do this before. So I believe there are some some market education we need to take care of. But I think gradually when we do much market education, when more users get familiar with this kind of permissions model, then we could you know like um we could cancel the verification system or something. That could also happen. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's that's great color and. I, one other, I didn't mean to cut you off, but one other question that just popped up is, I mean, what benefits does permissionless market creation give to like the long tail of assets? So all the smaller market cap coins out there, what are the benefits of having PERT markets for those smaller cap tokens? Oh, I honestly believe that is the opportunity for decentralized changes to get, to, to take decentralized changes. Because uh, if we... Uh, if we t- uh, look back on the Uniswap, but actually Uniswap doesn't have like a decent trading volume until the token called AMPL, which is like quite popular back in last year. And I remember, I clearly remember one day that the AMPL, uh, AMPL's uh, trading volume is occupied 5%, uh, sorry, 50% of the total trading volume of Uniswap that day. That is because back in that time, the AMPL, this token's uh, spot market is not on any central exchanges yet. So that's why Uniswap trading volume is pretty large because uh, because at that time, the ample force is quite uh, trending that day. So if, if we use the same logic here that we take, we look at the perpetual swap exchanges, that's, of course, for now, the mainstream for the mainstream market, I believe BTC and Ethereum for this mainstream market that the central exchanges may have like pretty, pretty good liquidity there. But for the long tail markets, we might have an opportunity here that we use a permissionless way that anyone can create a part market uh, freely and pretty fast then that will give us some kind of uh, opportunity there here that we do have some long-term market that the central exchanges doesn't have yet so that could be a pretty uh good uh motivation to get the users who are right now trading on the central exchanges so yeah so that is how i i think of this oh the the selection of assets the greater selection of assets and i guess the time to market for other coins to have perp markets is definitely a competitive advantage. I guess the, the last question for you on that topic is just like, do you think that it's a reality that we'll have major volume for long tail assets? Because I feel like a lot of the perp volume today on the centralized exchanges is basically just you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, kind of mm-hmm. you know long mm-hmm. you know larger assets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe so. I think that is only like how to say this. I mean, this is only like uh. We need a, a first motivation to move people here first. And then this is basically like the f- uh, first thing that we can do to get those users. Of course, we are still like working on the mainstream market so that 
they first trade an account here, the long tail market here, and then they realize they have they have experiences, the uh, user experience here. Oh, they will find oh not bad. So then th then they check on the liquidity on the Ethereum or Bitcoin here, and then oh it might be similar or even better than centralized exchanges. So I think that is what how we uh, convert those users from the centralized changes here so yeah but of course in the if we take in the in the long term or we take in a macro way that of course i believe just as centralized uh centralized world that mainstream market like ethereum and bitcoin will take most of the trading volumes so i guess you're a believer that eventually decentralized per place will overtake the centralized exchanges in volume yeah yeah that is exactly what we are like working relentless uh, for here. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's just crazy to, it's, it's crazy to think through it because I mean, there's just so much volume on centralized exchanges. It's, uh, it, it's, you have product market fit on one side, but you also mm -hmm. have these gigantic rivals on the other side. Yeah, yeah, we do. So yeah, that is exactly what is driven us, like, you know, kind of exciting because we on the one hand we have a, like a huge potential of the market and on the other hand like we are pretty good and pretty respected you know like uh rivals or competitors here so we are kind of like driven self-driven and driven by the others to to do better and better i like that and one of the other catalysts that we have in the market going on is just like you know the layer two summer or you know we're, we're kind of almost halfway through mm. summer or, you know getting to halfway yeah. so it's little later than I wanted, but you know, we have Optimism, <laughs> Arbitrum launching. You guys are launching with Arbitrum. How do you yeah. like view your L2 launch? Like, is this a major catalyst for, you know, not only MC Dex, but, you know, DeFi on ETH or DeFi on other platforms in general, or how do you, how are you viewing it? Because it feels to me like a major catalyst, but on the flip side, you know, it's kind of always longer than we want until these things launch. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, that is only one thing that we kind of I kind of suffered in the recent in the past recent months. Um, I, I first of all, I believe that like like Ethereum layer one can only uh, can only achieve some kind of uh, how to put it simple um, smart contracts, for example, the Uniswap and the lending and something like that. So I, I believe that is exactly the why that last DeFi summer is driven by the spot market exchange like Uniswap, because, you know, like on Ethereum layer one, there's no opportunity for derivatives like us. So for, we are kind of have been expecting this uh, layer two summer for a long time because we believe with the readiness of the infrastructure, like the layer two solutions, uh, that is a pretty good time timing for derivatives project like us to shine over the arena because Without them, we can do nothing here <laughs> because of the high gas and also because of the user experiences caused by the congestion on the layer one. So we are very uh, confident that uh, with the readiness of the layer two, the, there will be a huge uh, boom of the trading volume of the derivatives exchanges. Uh, yeah, but the, the downside of the dark side is here right now. Like We are waiting for the readiness. Uh, of the, uh, it takes some time. Uh, actually, we have been testing on the Arbitrum for about like almost one month here. And we are in a quite close relationship with them that we are kind of providing our feedbacks every day and they are kind of uh, testing and adjusting it. So uh, I'm glad that both teams are quite, you know, like devoted to this. And uh, I think Arbitrum team has been crazy uh, busy in the past one month or two. So I believe that it could be like ready in a short time. The good thing will worse wait. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. I think we've kind of grown past this, like, you know, people wondering whether L2 is a reality because now we're starting to have deployments. We have projects launching on them. So it's it's less mm. of a, a risk, I guess, and more of kind of just a little bit of a waiting game. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I guess just thinking back, though, I mean, like you guys had development going on MC Dex V2, and you guys halted mm -hmm. that pretty early on, and you guys pivoted to V3, which is you know far less capital intensive. It provides a better experience for LPs and traders. At that time, I guess my two questions are like, what were your largest learnings from you know halting V2 and, and going to V3? And I guess my follow up question is just, did you guys ever consider 
you know, not building on ETH, maybe building on a faster L1 so you didn't have to worry about the L2 kind of question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, about like kind of the lessons learned that we have from V2. Uh, yeah, that is very, that exactly the reason why we have right now the current V3 because we basically, we basically get what we learn and use it in our next product. So as I mentioned that like back in V2, we kind of have the hybrid model both with Audible and AMM. So we have the opportunity to get the real understanding of the difference and the advantage of both models for the Audible and for the AMM. And so our key learning is here, like the real power of AMM is that it can crowdfund the liquidity. Because on other book model, the liquidity is not crowdfunded. It's provided by the market makers. And as I mentioned, and market makers' funds are provided mostly by the teams. So as you know, like a team's the power uh, ability to raise a fund is kind of limited. It's less, much less powerful than a crowdfund liquidity. So when considering AMM, that we think it's the key to utilize the function that AMM can crowdfund liquidity from anyone. So we could provide the better liquidity to the, tra to the traders. So this is the first thing that we realized that the liquidity, uh, the, the way of get liquidity is different. And then also the cost of get liquidity from different models is different because with AMM, model running, we, we have a proper incentive for the liquidity mining program. It's relatively easy to get uh, enough liquidity because some many projects are doing that. Like they are kind of easily to get several me uh, uh to to get like 50 million or 60 million or so. It's not a great amount of liquidity we get in the with the proper liquidity mining program. So that's the first thing that we realized that uh, the cost of providing liquidity on those models is totally different. So that's why exactly why we are should only we choose only use AMM model in the V3 that want, we want to utilize that power. And the second thing is that I actually have uh, explained a little bit just now is about uh, the operation uh, that if with the other book, uh, the team needs to deal everything. Like whenever adding one more market, we need to think about how to how to do the market making and or how to get involved more market makers. That is like some is exactly what the centralized changes are doing right now. But we all know that right now, if we check on the centralized changes, there are like 100, more than 100 perpetual market there. But however, on DEX, there are usually 10 or 20 at most. So the market diversification for that is quite poor now. So that's exactly why that we think we should do in a kind of more light way that we uh, want to make the market diversification uh, decided or generated by the community. So MCDX is more like uh, infra here that we empower other, one, other people to do that. So yeah, so this is the second learning that we have is that uh, we want to we, we don't want to do it in a very heavy way that we take care of everything. So we want to do it in a permissions way so that we can easily, re relatively easily to get involved more uh, people and more institutions in the ecosystem. Yeah, so this basically are the two uh, two uh, two key learnings from the from the. We uh, too. And another one is that uh, uh, the third one, yeah, the third one I actually have been talking uh, talking a lot is about the capital efficiency because when we our V two we realized that with like uh, almost one hundred million dollars in our pool back in V two and we still cannot compete with we still have a very low uh, bad slippage for the traders at just now so we cannot do that. So because like we need to like 10 times our liquidity to achieve relatively better uh, slippage for the traders. That is not the right way to do that. The right way is to utilize, to make full use of the liquidity in our pool instead of just make them uh, lying there and doing nothing. Yeah, so these are basically the three learnings that we get from the week. 
sorry, I forgot the second question. <laughs> no, no, this is it's it's a helpful dive and, and a candid one on on why you guys switched from V two to V three. And I, I mean, I guess the decision is never. I, I always like to ask teams like when they make such a foundational change to their protocol, like it's never mm-hmm. easy. I mean, even doing it at a company is not easy. Like, was wow. this something that was kind of you know decided upon given the difficulties with V two, or was this something more contentious, or was this kind of just the next evolution of growth for you guys? I think it's more like the the lessons that, and learning that we get from the B2 and we analysis like how it is happened and we try to figure out any way to solve those problems. Because as I mentioned, there are three uh like problems that we observe from the V2. And uh, in V3, we kind of we we think that is the best way for now that we could think of to solve all of those problems. So I would say um there is a like there is a one at least one good thing about food's first movers here because we kind of launched quite early back in last uh last uh last year launch our perpetual swap because we can like we can uh do we can have some uh, real experiences with running it. And then we can get the quick market feedback and exactly what, what the users thinking about us. And then we can go on uh, building and shipping, building and shipping. So yeah, I guess that is how we we think 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 it all through. And G, just switching gears a bit as we close out, I wanted to get a little bit into MCB, the token. So could you kind mm-hmm. of explain the token econ of MCB and MCDEX? Like how do MCB holders profit off the success of the protocol, and I guess are you planning to revamp the token econ or introduce new roles like staking or insurance for the token? Um, I guess mm-hmm. if you could just give an overview, that would be helpful. Yeah, sure. I guess one of the novel approach that we have for the token economy is that well, we are related. We kind of related the insurance of the MCB to the trading volume of our platform. Because when we launched the V3, we will also launch the MCDEX DAO, which has a vault. And the vault will collect a certain percentage of the trading volume to, to it. So whenever there's $1 captured by the MCDEX DAO vault, and there is one more MCB QB issued in the future. So in this way that we kind of, you know, related the uh profit or revenue the benefits of the holders to the performance of the trading volume which we believe is a totally sustainable way because you know as this exchange the, the fundamental um business model is to have to is to have a certain amount of the trading volume and then we can gain the transaction fee so mcb holders as the governance uh, as the governor of the mcx DAO, they have the right to decide the Fun the assets that goes to the about how to use them, maybe use to them to do the marketing, to do some investments that will be all through the governance. Meanwhile, the holders can also govern on like if there are certain amounts of MCB could be issued and whether we issue them. And if we issue them, well, where how will be able how will we utilize them to incentivize the liquidity or incentivize the uh, traders or staking? Yeah. So generally that for now, uh MCDX is uh, the MCB holders are the uh governor of the DAO. Meanwhile, they have the full power to utilize the to utilize the tokens and the funds in the vault. Yeah. So there will be more uh, utilities uh, coming out. Uh, for example, as we are all familiar that uh, like FTX that the token can be used as some uh, you know the transaction fee as a discount or something and uh, we, could, we could do that in the future and also uh, maybe the operators right now we don't have the uh, threshold for uh, operators so maybe later with the operators could stake some MCB to become a, to become one something like that so yeah so generally um the Holder NCB holders can benefit from you know governing the down vault, which if the business is good, there will be a lot of assets there. And meanwhile, we will have more dynamic utilities in the future for the tokens, so that it could high acute uh, relate to the business model more closely. 
that's awesome. And the staking aspect isn't live today, right? Yeah, not not uh, not yet. We actually right now are having a community discussion going on uh, about uh when when we launch the V three, whether we should have the staking uh launch at the same time, and uh, what's the potential APY of that? Something like this. This is like a kind of like a community discussion here. It makes a lot of sense. And Gene, one thing I missed, and we're definitely have to do another pod to go into all the parameters on MCDAX, but this is, this is a great starting point, is just that you guys offer limit orders, and that's really important for traders. Can you go into that before we close out? Yeah, for sure. So uh, right now, the limit orders, uh, is a, I have to say, it's more like a centralized, it's a little bit centralized way to deal with that, is that we kind of have a broker that if the for example, if I want to have a limit order, then the smart contract will set the um, the kind of the request to the broker, and the broker will observe the price movement of the of the of the contract pressure swap. If that meets the request of the of my uh, of me, then they will like execute the orders. But this is extremely important for uh, for traders because as a trader myself, I I think like. Uh, at least half of my trades are, are, are made by limit orders. So yeah, I believe this kind of uh, function makes the user experiences a little bit more similar to the centralized changes. That makes a lot of sense. And Gene, what should people get really excited about? You know, how can they get involved in MC Dex? Where should they go? Definitely, definitely plug the exchange book. All right. So we have the uh, Twitter. Just go to the Twitter search MCDAX and we basically have all everything there. And for the community, we mostly have the Telegram and Discord community, both. Um, yeah. So like very welcome, like everyone to go there and have a more uh, deep dive and understanding of what we're doing. And we have some like milestones like in the near future. So looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, Gene, it's been incredible having you on. We're, we're so excited you guys just have us as investors on the journey and to help you guys out. Um, really looking forward to making more of a series out of this with the dive into other areas, but really, really appreciate your time today. This is awesome. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.